All right. Uh, any questions? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Who brought the donuts? I forgot mine. Oh, man. That's the only thing we ask. I know. Yeah. But I'm here in body. Yeah. So, Jeb, according to you, mm-hmm. we now the, the Piper Seminole is now going to become a major successful airplane. This is yes. going to become the most popular airplane. Yes, in, in and the, the reason for that, fleet. the reason for that is one of the one of the main things holding back general aviation, of course, has been air conditioning. Air or conditioning lack thereof. Yeah. Uh huh. And now Piper Seminoles uh, are getting upgraded. Uh, this says upgraded. I don't know what the story says. I don't know if this is. Uh, a new thing, or I guess it is. Um, I, I, I'm not aware of the Seminole having an option from the factory for air conditioning in the past. Uh, nevertheless, Kelly Aerospace, uh, which is um, a fairly well-known company throughout uh, general aviation, uh, has its new thermocool air conditioning system available now for the, uh, the uh, apparently, uh, factory new uh, 2012 uh, Piper Seminoles as a factory option. Um, okay, now there's one thing I, I hadn't even. I'm not that familiar with with small twins, so uh-huh. um, the picture that comes with this story that's a, that's a Piper Seminole, right? That's right. a Seminole. Yeah. Um, I wasn't aware that they were building new ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Piper's Piper's building a lot of training airplanes. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me put it another way. I would. Yeah, I hate to do this, but I would speculate. I hate to use that word. Uh, I would speculate that most of Piper's deliveries are for training organizations. Most most of their current deliveries, I should say, are are for training organizations. Really? And they they can be in North America. They can be overseas. Yeah. You mean Piper across the board? That's an interesting statement. I. Uh, well, at least. Let, let, what about okay, their let big? Me, let me let me let me back that down or back that up a little bit. Um. I would speculate that most of Piper's deliveries for the non-M series aircraft. That's good. Yeah. Are uh, what's the M series training Mirage Meridian? Yeah, okay, those are the ones I was thinking of. That might be uh, what's the what's the uh, non-pressurized um, Matrix? Mirage, Matrix. Thank you. Um, um, probably selling a few Senecas to. Um, 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 People who are using them commercially, I, there's, I'm sure they're selling a few uh, archers and, and warriors to uh, um, individuals. But the Seminole um, and a couple of models of, or, or I should say, you know, training-specific models of the archer and the uh, warrior, I'm sure are going to training organizations. Mm-hmm. Matter of okay. fact, the the uh, Seminole in the photograph. Uh-huh. Which is from Sun and Fun, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, um, yeah. Was being delivered at the show to uh-huh. the Redbird Training Organization down in Texas. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, and ke- keep in mind, too, that um, I'm trying to... The, the, the Seminole, I think, is probably the, the least expensive new manufactured piston twin available. Yeah, I believe you're right. Worldwide. Um, the Seneca is probably... Well, there's the air cam, but yeah. Well, there's the air cam, yeah. But you have to build that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. You can't, get your, you can't get your ATP in an air cam. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you can't get your multi-engine rating in an air cam. But. You can get your multi-engine air cam, but you cannot get your ATP in okay. an air Okay, I'm sorry, Jeff, I interrupted you. No, that's okay. You said this is the uh, cheapest one out there, but... This is cheapest new manufacturer piston twin available, period. 
Okay. Or least expensive, let's put it that way. Now, is this a real air conditioning rig? This is not like, you know, that bag of ice with a fan thing. That the, it's, some- This sounds like, reading the story, and, and I can't imagine, uh, um, I, Kelly Aerospace wouldn't go into a, a bag of ice kind of a deal, um, um, I don't think. But then it says an electric Freon air conditioning system. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. um, as long as 28 volts is, is supplied to the system, it will run. That can be from a ground power unit, or it can be from obviously onboard alternators. Yeah. Now, in fact, the the system comes part of the package is a new lightweight twenty eight volt sixty amp alternator mm-hmm. that they put on the left engine, which also creates a twenty eight volt independent electrical bus for powering additional aircraft electrical com- com- components or standby equipment. Uh, and since the AC, yes, the AC uses less than 45 amps, that leaves 15, 16 for other stuff. And even with the new alternator and the new bus, it still comes in at about 60 pounds, which is mm-hmm. uh, sounds like a lot, but it's not bad for a, an electrically driven AC system. Yeah, it's not, all things considered. And, um, and, and, okay, so and uh, what would the useful load on this kind of an airplane be to begin with? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, hang on a second. I'll pull up a, an old reference um, to answer that question. Would, for example, six, adding 60 pounds worth of air conditioning make it impossible to carry four people, for example? Well, it probably is already difficult to carry four people. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Let me this is 280 horse likes on this. This is not, yeah. uh, you know... An overpowered airplane. I see. Okay. Uh, PH-44. There it is. Uh, Useful loads, 1,230 pounds. Uh, right. And so, you know, uh, 1170 after you put the AC in. Mm-hmm. That's not too shabby. That's not too shabby. No, it's not sh- keep in mind. Keep in mind you've got... Um, Nominal sixteen gallon hour fuel burn. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to go anywhere, you need um, some fuel on board. That's going to cut into your useful. I don't. Uh, what's the what's the fuel capacity on this? One hundred eight is the is what I have here as a published fuel capacity. So. If you got full tanks, there's 600 pounds right there. That just about so comes out. I mean, I'm rough, rough yeah. out arithmetic here is uh, so the air conditioning re- reduces the useful load to around 1,200. Mm-hmm. Four people is a bit under 800. So mm-hmm. that's that takes you down to 600. So and that full fuel uh, payload, right? Uh, just under 600 or 557, 570, whatever. The, put that in perspective. That's not all that different from a new uh, Bonanza, right? With with fully topped off. Yeah, right. Um, my, now my reference says the useful on this is uh, thirteen fourteen hundred, uh, but that's um, and it says payload, which payload is of course uh, the amount of gross weight margin you have left over after fuel full fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, it says 746 pounds in payload, um, but I'd you know be kind of cautious in, in using that number or those numbers. A, 
that's a factory um, useful load number, a factory empty weight number. Right. And by the time you start adding options like air conditioning um, and, <laughs> and uh, um, stuff like that, that uh, you know that tends to go down. Yeah. Um, so. Yep. But if I recall correctly, it was UCAP episode number one where UCAP you declared that the best thing that could happen, the way to really you uh-huh. know, goose the uh, the general I, aviation industry. I, and I still maintain that that is well. There, there are a lot of other problems confronting general aviation. <laughs> but this would help. <laughs> as, the, uh, as an industry and as a um, 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 avocation that people choose to uh, 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 engage in, uh, air conditioning is certainly one of them. I was, I was uh, uh, down on the waterfront um, here in Sarasota last night um, kicking around and, and kind of in a marina environment and there's a there's a buttload of people with boats and those boats are um expensive oh yeah okay and they don't require a great deal of training to operate yeah um, and, and my we're all point familiar, exactly but yeah we're ahead. all familiar of course with with uh, uh horror stories of of um of boaters um inebriated or not uh, doing strange things and needing to be rescued, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, it, it's a lot, you know, the, the 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 price of entry is similar, but um, the price of acquisition, I should say, is similar. The upkeep costs and, and the storage costs, maintenance costs, I guess, would be similar depending on the boat. Yeah, you can go get a rowboat or a canoe or something like that and not have to worry about it. But if it has an engine and it's running on salt water, uh, watch out for your wallet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, but they all have air conditioning, big ones. They, they, you know, no, if you've got a cabin, you generally have AC on your boat, you know. Not, not all of them, no. I mean, you have to get up into, you know, the, the quote, cabin class or cabin cruisers or whatever the hell they call them um, before you get an air-conditioned cabin in a boat. But even so, big whoop, you know, you're not really biting into useful load or other capabilities that much. Um, you need to run a generator. You're probably going to run a generator anyway. Um, and it's all there. You just flick a switch, and, and boom, you got air conditioned cabin. Um, not so with the average Piper Seminole. Not so with the average um, Cirrus or Bonanza or, or whatever. Um, to me, that's always been a a big problem, and it's it is not so much. You know, cool air. All cool air is certainly important. And and uh, you know, talk to me in August flying around south, uh, southern Florida. Um, but it's it's just the one more. Um, I don't know accoutrement um, that people with the ways and means to buy an aircraft and learn to fly that aircraft uh, would have come to expect uh, at these price points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whether it's you know steam gauges versus glass, or the glass obviously being more uh, 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 palatable, uh, not palatable, but being more appropriate to to someone coming into this industry and looking for you know the gee whiz factors and looking for what he or she might expect of current technology, 
they would expect glass. They would expect leather seats. They would expect uh, well-designed instrument panels. Now, you know, Cirrus is is a great example of how that expect those expectations have been uh, a uh, understood and b per- met it- um, versus a forty-year-old debonair. Right. Yeah. So the business, the private business jets, the private jets certainly all have air conditioning, and that's kind of proves, makes your point. And they suck up a lot of Jet A to run it because they're turning the APU generally, the auxiliary power unit, which tend to be the noisiest part of the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a Garrett powered aircraft. Yeah. But, but if you wanted to save fuel on the air conditioning, the solution would be to fly your private jet without the door. This is true. Yeah. This is true. It might was get that a, a segue? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. That was a segue. Yeah. That was a segue. Was a segue. Yes. And, I, and I recognized it for what it was. <laughs> yeah. Next story on the list here. Um, I, you know, it's funny. To, I, I'm sure for the rest of my days, these kinds of stories will make me think of Dave opening that damn window. All right. But... Uh, <laughs> So this is a story from uh, what are we looking at? The Star Tribune, which is the newspaper of the, the uh, Twin Star Cities. Tribune. The Twin Cities, a yeah, private jet yeah, door. Yeah, it's, it's an AP story. Yeah, it's an AP. Oh, it is an. Uh, yeah, you're right. Of course, an AP story. Private jet door lands on South Florida golf course. By the way, there's also another story here about the fact that these things always land on golf courses, but that's <laughs> another thing altogether. Uh, this uh, Canadair CL60 private jet, the door not simply popped open. Um, because I think, you know, we've all had the doors, but well, not all, but you know, right. having your door pop open is, you know, not an unusual thing, but this one, the door actually departed the airplane and, uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's a challenger, by the way, in case anybody yeah. didn't recognize the CL 60 designation, yeah. uh, that's a Bombardier, uh, challenger, uh, uh, that's a big airplane. That's a big door. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, evidence that somewhere, somehow, um, there probably is an opening for an FO at an operator <laughs> near in South Florida. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get much better than that. Welcome, folks, to episode 280. Wait a minute. It's 289. I, my little sheet here is it wrong. 289. Right, the, if there's doors falling on you out of the sky, you're on a South Florida golf course. They, episode. Yeah. Yeah. Episode 289 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight clear west check national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta recording this episode on uh, Friday morning, June 1st, 2012. <sighs> so yeah, if you're if you're noticing that the energy levels are a little lower than usual, it's because it's uh, it's quite early in the morning depending Friday on where, morning, you're, yeah. where you're sitting right now. Um, and joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, once again my two good friends, uh, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas, where it's what 8 a.m., right? Or just That pa- is correct. Well, just past 8 a.m. A, a bit past 8 a.m. How you doing? What's going on? Uh, well, we got the K 
caffeine and the IV needle bag going, uh, so we won't have to take a break to refill the coffee cup. Uh, uh, it's been a you know been a lovely week, except for the hailstorm that uh, turned our, uh, our our little Honda into something approaching a, a silver gray golf ball. Yeah. That's kind of uh, sad. You were telling us about that earlier. Um, what I didn't ask you earlier is uh, any reports on aircraft damage at, like, you know, Dead Cow or places like that. Uh, I'm not sure Dead Cow got hit. Uh, I was going to try to get down there yesterday evening and talk to the leprechaun about it. Uh, I didn't see any reports of airplane damage in any of the media stuff, that, and there was a good deal of it yesterday. This happened Wednesday evening. Uh and kind of took everybody. We knew the weather was coming, but the severity of it was a notch higher than than, expect, than expected. So, uh, but it left all my neighborhood look like it had a new green carpet, even the paved surfaces yeah, for all, all the leaves, the leaves and twigs yeah. and tree limbs that were shredded by hail from the size of uh, marbles and peas up to uh, ping pong balls and, 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 and limes and such. Yeah. yeah, you live in an exciting part of the country weather-wise, don't you? Huh? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, we've lived here in this house 21 years. I'm looking at the third roof we've had. Uh, we've had to replace it twice because of past hailstorms. And as really? soon as I can get somebody to take a look at this one, I'll find out whether this one's in, in line to uh, tap the insurance company fund. So, Does the damage extend into the actual structure of the roof or just the covering? Uh, this, the uh, first time the hail was, uh, it came in four waves in the course of about six hours. I'm sorry, in about four waves in the course of about three hours. And the last wave was uh, produced hail so large that it damaged the wood structure beneath the shingles. Wow. Wow. We're talking grapefruit stuff here. Uh, oh, that's that not was, this time, right? That's not this time, right. fortunately, no. That time, one of my colleagues at the Wichita Eagle, a photographer, was on his way out to the northwest part of the county we live in. When he ran into that last wave, and he pulled over to the side of an intersection and jumped in the back seat and covered himself up with a fire blanket because the hail was shredding all the glass in his car. And when it was over, it looked like somebody had taken a sledgehammer to it. Yeah, yeah. Also here in the virtual hangar this morning is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm, I'm starting to seriously consider whether or not I should um, associate with Mr. Higdon now. I know, I know. Uh, but everywhere he goes, it seems that there's some kind of violent weather. I mean, yeah, last year, sun and fun, it regularly in, in Wichita. Um, you know, cut two years ago, Oshkosh was yeah. Was I was going to say Oshkosh. Yeah, know, yeah. I you know, know. I, but it's I, funny. You were at Oshkosh too. I was not at Sun and Fun, and I was not in Wichita. But you were in Florida. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Jeb, you, uh, and, I, and I was in North America for yesterday. <laughs> yeah. uh, there you go. For, see. Yeah. It, see. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Jeb, um, speaking of. Uh, <laughs> new uh, roofs, uh, you got your airplane reskinned because of hail damage, right? I did. This was several years ago. Um, it had been on the, uh, um, kind of a, I don't know, uh, um, sordid tale. I uh, had gotten the airplane out of the paint shop like four or five months before this. And um, it was, I was not uh, able to get a hanger for it. 
but you know it's an immaculate paint job and and uh, um, uh, Tracy Potter up at Hagerstown Aviation Services uh, aircraft services did all the work and, and his shop was magnificent and, and uh, uh, I take it back there in a heartbeat uh, but the, the air Plane sitting on the ramp, tied down, minding its own business. Yeah. And uh, this this big thunderstorm microburst thing comes in and dumps a bunch of stuff on on Manassas, uh, the Manassas, Virginia airport. This was like, I want to say August of uh, '02, and uh, um, I drove out there. I heard about it on the news that evening or something, and I drove out there just to make sure that my airplane wasn't you know rolled up in a ball of uh, uh, aluminum next to the hangar. And it was it was dark, of course, still when I got out there, and obviously the airplane's still sitting there hadn't really been hadn't really moved. There was a couple of airplanes on the other side of the airport uh, that had been balled up uh, because of this weather. Um, my airplane was fine; it was sitting there where where I'd left it, and all the big pieces were still attached. I was kind of looking at it, and said, you know. I really need to see this in daylight because you know there's some water that's that's on the airframe that um, kind of looks like it's in a puddle and it shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be any puddles. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. So went back out there the next morning and, of course, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, you know. That must be a heartbreaker. It was. And it was especially frustrating uh, because the airplane was imminently flyable. But cosmetically, it looked like certain parts of it anyway cosmetically look something similar to a golf ball yeah so um and those dimples um, help a golf ball fly better so you know maybe well yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, that's only if you hit it with a wood on all right that's yeah. right you gotta, you gotta hit it with three wood mm-hmm. and i'm not going to do that to to my airplane so um, you know, made the inevitable call to the to the insurance company, and I was not the only aircraft owner um, who who was making calls to the insurance company. So they were kind of you know familiar with uh, all of this. And uh, make a long story short, um, got got the airplane reskinned um, in in certain areas, got it repainted in those same areas uh, by the same shop, by Tracy Potter shop. Um, and, um, haven't looked back. Uh, it's, it was, didn't cost me a penny except for ferry time and downtime on the airplane because it was not in motion. Um, the insurance company paid a lot of money mm-hmm. to do that. How long uh, did it take to have them replace all the, uh, it was about, it, you know, it's funny the the original, uh, excursion, original visit, or, or I should say stay in the paint shop was about a six-week evolution, and and this repair was about a six-week evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I got new skins. The wings got opened up and 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 looked at, and and um, it was all things considered, it was not a bad deal um, because when they opened up the wings, you know, a little, little bit of corrosion here and there. Okay, you know, a forty-year-old airplane. Let's let's clean this up. Let's aladine this. Let's you know, mm-hmm. uh, prime it again. And you know, boom! The airplane's good for another forty years. So that was a very good thing. And uh, you know, hats off to Tracy uh, again. Hats off to Tracy and his shop for, for uh, you know, the quality of their work and and uh, um, you know, doing those kinds of things while they were in there. Yeah, very cool, very cool. And hey, of course, before- they only have to reskin the top. So. Yeah, they didn't have to reskin the belly or, or the underside of the wings or, or anything like that. And, and not everything was reskinned. Some of it was was just. Uh, 
you know, kind of uh, um, worked a little bit and, and, and left alone. And then, of course, repainted everything. Yeah. I don't think they repainted everything. They repainted what they needed to repaint. Right. Was the windshield okay? Windshield was fine. I got a half-inch piece of uh, uh, plexiglass there. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing's going to bother that windshield. Uh, and it had, uh, interestingly enough, had a cabin cover over the, uh, uh, over the cabin, uh, covering the windshield, covering the side windows, uh, aft to um, um, basically the, the back bulkhead in the cabin. Um, but and that did help um, those areas. It did help protect those areas of the airplane. But that's you know leaving a lot of sheet metal unprotected. Right. Right. Yeah. And before I forget, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I am coming to you this morning from the 44th floor, high atop the Palazzo Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier, and I I, I texted you or emailed you back that at that altitude. Yeah, you can look down on all the drones that are flying <laughs> at at or at, at or below four hundred feet. Uh huh. Yeah, and so, uh, hey, as a, well, I don't know if they're drones, but there's a lot of uh, that kind. You know, helicopter traffic in this area. Yeah. I mean, you you look out the window here. I got a great view. They gave me a nice room, and uh, uh, you can see just about any time you look out the window. If you look for a minute or two, you'll see a helicopter or more. Mostly, they're tourist helicopters. You know, they fly tours up and down the Las Vegas Strip, and. Uh, well, um, that and and you know the the Grand Canyon and, and Hoover Dam and not the Hoover yeah you know, which which dam is that yeah Hoover Dam is it Hoover okay yeah, yeah. it's Hoover Dam or aka the Boulder Dam yeah um, and it actually has another name altogether I believe it's like I forget what it's called these days but uh, BFD yeah yeah <laughs> oh I thought you were making a comment on the fact that we were talking about this uh, okay well then let's talk about well we were talking about airplanes but let's talk about airplanes some more here what else what's next here. Uh, Let's see now. I haven't actually had a chance to look at this story yet, but um, there's been in the news the last couple of days the fact that the FAA has come out with this report where they apparently categorized all of the GA airports. Uh, the 22,952 public-use general aviation facilities have been divided into four new categories, those categories being national, regional, local, or basic and uh, um, I don't know. They've been, yeah, they've been categorizing airports for as long as I can remember. Yeah, you know, there was yeah. you know reliever. There was you know there's primary. There's commercial. There's international. Um, this of course is targeted at at general aviation airports alone. I don't know how they how they distinguish between them, um, except to say, well, okay, if it doesn't have commercial service, then it's a GA airport. Well, th- hello, come in. You know, airlines decide to serve new communities and, and withdraw service from those communities kind of sort of on their own without any, you know, real input from from the FAA. I don't know what they are determining to be a general aviation airport. Yeah, that was my question, too. I wasn't clear on whether this included uh, non-FAA-funded airports, uh, so-called private airports. Oh, I Um, believe it does. It says public-use general aviation facilities, so that would go into publicly owned public use as well as privately owned yeah. public use. Reading the uh, the summary paragraph from the FAA.gov website about this, um, it, it, their, their heart appears to be in the right place, at least as far as this summary paragraph is concerned. Reading here, general aviation airports 
a national asset. That's the title of the document. Documents an 18-month study of nearly 3,000 general aviation airports, heliports, and seaplane bases uh, identified in the FAA's national plan. Let's see, national plan of integrated airport systems. The in-depth analysis highlights for the traveling public the pivotal role GA airports play in our society, economy, and the aviation system. The study also aligns the GA airports into four categories, just like I said, uh, based on their existing activity levels. The new categories better capture, this is the FAA speaking, the new categories better capture the diverse functions and economic contributions GA airports make to their communities and the nation. So that sounds like a good thing, you know. Well, Jim mentioned that they've been categorizing airports for a long time at the FAA. In the NIPIUS, what is that, National Plan for Integrated Airport System? Yeah, right. the, that, that, that first raised its ugly head back in the 80s, as I recall. Right. Uh -huh. That's been around forever. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, my thing is, so they've sort of categorized the roughly. It appears they've categorized them by size, by busyness, and and I would submit that that's not the best way to categorize airports if you're trying to express their value, um, particularly to their community. I, I would submit that a, a, a little GA airport in a small town in Iowa is more valuable to its community than. I don't know, just grabbing one off, you know, then Phoenix's Bravo Airport. Um, I mean, they're both important. Well, Falcon, to the Falcon Field might be a good example at one end. Uh, oh, Jiminy, what's, uh, what's the airport in well, New Manassas Jersey? Manassas is a great example. Yeah. Manassas is a great example. It's, it's yeah. an extremely important airport um, to the city and county in which it is located. Yeah. Um, there over the years it has grown uh it is it has prospered it is um since since nine eleven and all that nonsense that's resulted uh it's become basically the uh uh the business um airport of choice in northern virginia uh yeah there's a lot of traffic that still goes into dallas um especially for the the larger biz jets and whatnot but um, if you look at, and I was just flabbergasted when I was up there in, in April, the growth and development that has occurred there uh, since I left in uh, over just five years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's, you know, there's a bunch of jobs. There's a bunch of money being sunk in there, um, and it's 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 quite the deal for that county. Um, and they know it. They've known it for some time, and and uh, that's one reason. Uh, uh, the airport really doesn't have a whole lot of, of political issues going on with it. Now, you know, internal politics is a whole other thing. But uh, as far as the community um, uh, supporting the airport or, or, you know, complaining about noise and, and things like that, uh, it, it just doesn't happen there because, um, you know, nobody's really giving uh, those kinds of arguments any legs. And, and and there are quite a number. If you look at the uh, general aviation airport categories that we were talking about here, the number of nationals is the smallest. And I would say it would include airports like Manassas. It would include airports like uh, Colonel James Jabara here in Wichita, uh, Van Nuys in the L.A. area. There's no commercial traffic there, but a huge amount of of uh, of uh, 
GA traffic. Oh, that's the, hey, hey, hey. I mean, let me let me beg to differ. Let's make sure we're um, commercial is is uh, an interesting turn of phrase. There's no scheduled traffic at those airports. That's there, yeah. That's that's there, good. There can be non-scheduled commercial traffic at those airports. Right. See, I, it's interesting, David. You think those airports would be classified as national? I, I would think they would be regional, but I'm actually going to oh, own. Okay. Well, uh, when you got a custom station on the field, right, or a custom service available on call at a field like that, uh, that that usually is not there for domestic traffic. Right. That's because there's international traffic involved. At least, at least until we have to have our papers to fly from Van Nuys to, to Teterboro. Oh, right. well, all right. Just first look, I, I stand start, partially corrected. Uh, Manassas is, in fact, categorized, categorized as a national airport. Uh, let's see what Van Nuys is. Well, white, white Plains in uh, uh, uh-huh. north, north, west, yep. east, northwest of New York City would be northeast. one in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are extremely busy, high-turban traffic airports okay right. yeah van nuys is categorized as national jabara is categorized as regional oh, uh, that yeah that's that's probably right but it's right on that cusp because i i do know it gets international traffic on mm-hmm. from time to time and, yeah. and then you go and look at say uh, a sarasota or a wichita or uh, um uh, you know, other airports like, I don't know, Valdosta, Georgia, Gainesville, Florida. Um, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll, I say that I don't know that Gainesville really has scheduled service. But um, those airports do, that I just ticked off, Sarasota, Wichita, uh, um, Valdosta, Georgia, they do have scheduled service. But uh, the vast majority of the operations at those airports, I'm sure, are, are non-scheduled GA. Yeah. I'm looking for Sarasota here. Where Sarah? Oh, Sarasota is not on the list as Sarasota. It's, it's well, it's not a GA airport. It's in and it's physically, yeah, it's kind of sort of. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, so oh, that, oh, so this doesn't. Ah, right. Of course. Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, it's got scheduled traffic. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And you know, Oshkosh is a great example of that too. Um, yeah. It used to have scheduled service. Right. Does not now, to my knowledge. Got to go to Appleton or Milwaukee. Right. Okay. Because Appleton's not on the list. I see. Okay. Anyways, I don't know. I'm 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 cautiously encouraged by this report. You know, given that they're characterizing it as, as a way to promote GA airports as an important part of the economy. Well, and, and we all you know, know they are. To be honest, we are among some of the we me or among some of the folks who have lamented in the past decade or so a seeming staff shift at 800 independents where so yeah, many new careful. hires in so many new in, in so many important positions had no GA background they came from the uh, the major airline companies mm-hmm. uh, they came from the major airline trade group uh, and at times some of the policy proposals we felt reflected either a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, or a just-don't-give-a-bleep attitude about GA and GA airports. So let's be honest here. This study didn't come out of a vacuum. Uh, This study was initiated, I would bet money, while the former permanent administrator – was still uh, active at the uh, at the FAA, right. 
and comes out after he's departed, uh, uh, unfortunately, for, uh, for, for uh, reasons that we all are familiar with. But it does illustrate to me that at least somebody there was thinking in terms of the rest of the aviation world. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, it's a good thing. I think it's, it's a good thing. thing. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Oshkosh is coming. And... Uh, Oh, uh, no, really? Yeah. And, oh, we, we better make plans. I know. Jiminy, I wish somebody had told me. Yeah. I know. Uh, one of, uh, obviously, lots of fun things are going to happen at Oshkosh this year. One of them is, and I don't know if this is new or not, but it's going to be cool. Um, there's going to be a group arrival of uh, Piper Cubs this year, which uh, I, I think sounds like that could be really, really cool. Certainly, they better get started soon. <laughs> picturesque. That, <laughs> like, that, that is new, and it's in celebration of the Cubs' 75th yeah. anniversary. So uh, looking at, uh, uh, ironically, I'm looking at AOPA.org right now with the story of this, but uh, uh, a group uh, is kind of starting to form up. And uh, how, is, I, how is that ironic, Jack? <laughs> 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 All right, I gotta, you tell me i got to go to the EAA website and find the same story, right? Uh, they're going to apparently try to arrive on, uh, on uh, Sunday the 22nd, which uh, is the opening Sunday of, uh, of or the pre, actually what we call day zero. It's the day before the official opening. Of right. Air Venture, and first day uh, of Air Venture today. That's right, the first day of the newspaper. And uh, let's see now, they're all going to gather at Hartford Municipal Airport uh, uh, the day before, and actually some even a couple of days before. And they're going to have a little pre-party down there with a I'm shocked camp out and uh, a fish fry down there. And then on the 22nd, they'll uh, they'll gather up and uh, and fly in uh, as a group. And uh, that could be pretty, pretty cool. Uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to all of AirVenture. But, uh, yeah, bunch of, bunch of, I wonder if Laminar, my, my uh, ski plane buddy, he's my uh, Cub uh, uh, friend, pilot friend uh, from, the, from the Nashua meetups, is planning on flying out there. Hmm. Uh, Lord knows he'll fly long distances in his Cub. Uh, he's just all over the place in that thing. So, uh, and uh, I wonder if he's going to be involved with that. But, anyways, that'll be cool. Anything else, David? I know, all kidding aside, you are very, very actively involved in planning stuff for the newspaper for, for AirVenture. Have you come across any interesting stories yet, or what level of uh, planning are you guys doing? Well, we're uh, working on juggling some staff ad- adjustments. Right. Uh, we're working on... Are you uh, previewing any stories that you might be covering? Not yet. Yeah. Uh, and we are we are working with a couple of our uh, our. our uh, long-time staffers on uh, on some of the work that uh, we'll be looking for from them. Uh, we're working on uh, uh, well, we're going to have some new faces and, uh, and and some folks in new positions. So we're just trying to make sure that everything is lined up, that we've got the right computer system, that the network works, that everybody knows where they're supposed to be and what section they're supposed to be working and. The uh, the formatting stuff uh, so that it eases the workload of all the people downstream who edit and copy mm-hmm. the, yeah. and so forth. So that's kind of where we are right now. I expect that uh, with today being June 1, that here over the next two or three weeks, the pace will pick up a little bit. That's right. That's right. We'll have more details uh, uh, later in, in the coming weeks. But uh, one of the things, if you're planning on attending your venture this year to put on your calendar, is the... Uh, is the uh, uh, UCAP uh, Beer Bash, the, uh, the tailgate party, which will be uh, on Thursday evening during Sun, uh, Sun and Fun, during Air Venture. And 
uh, you know, put it on your calendar. We'd love to see you. It'll start at about six o'clock uh, over there at the uh, the uh, so-called uh, Super Eight Gate uh, over on the northwest corner of the field, and uh, love to see all you guys there, as well as a lot of other uh, UCAP activities that we'll be announcing uh, as the weeks go on. So um, coincidentally, we got a bunch of crashes uh, uh, on on yeah, the list. Yeah, uh, there's been a rash. Yeah, and. Uh, here lately. And not uh, the kind of rash that you can put some baby powder on. Yeah, no, right. I know. Uh, let's see. In, in no particular order here, uh, the first one is headlined uh, Farewell to a Local Training Favorite. David, you put this on the list. I, I confess I'm not familiar with this airplane, but apparently it's a notable airplane that had, had some bad luck. What's the story here? Mary Kay? Mary Kay, uh, anybody who's been around a, uh, a lady who worked for or purchased Mary Kay is probably familiar with the pinkish color scheme that often went with the vehicles they drove and the wardrobe they dressed. Well, Mary Kay at Chabara Airport was a Cessna 172, a 76 model. She was part of the grand centennial or bicentennial uh, fleet that Cessna was uh, rolling out the door in those years when airplane production was still huge. And Mary Kay's been a fixture at Jabara, uh, managed by Sabres Corporation, uh, trained a lot of students. And a little over a week ago, she had a brake lockup on a on a on touchdown and swerved off and into a drainage uh, culvert. And uh, the last word we had was that after all these years of training new students and some instrument students, Mary Kay is being forced into retirement. They say that she's totaled. Yeah, the airplane. Yeah. The airplane, right. Yeah. Everybody in the airplane got out okay, a little bruised and battered. But Mary Kay, not so, not so lucky. Yeah. Oh, well. Sorry to hear it. The next one yeah. is... Uh, this one actually uh, qualifies, I think, qualifi qualifies as an off-field landing of the week, sort of. Uh, this is uh, uh, from Yahoo, an AP, another AP story. Small plane sinks in San Diego Bay to survive. Uh, let's see now. Apparently, this was a, a banner tow uh, Cessna 150 uh, that uh, had some sort of engine problem, and uh, they uh, uh, ejected or released the banner and then landed in the bay, and uh, were then um, soon after rescued by some sort of boat, like a Coast Guard or something like that. But, uh, um, you know, the news story, of course, describes it as a dramatic scene. And, of course, on some level it's very dramatic. But it sounds like it was very, you know, everybody was fine and uh, this guy landed. There's a couple of interesting quotes in this story. Uh, he, uh, uh, an eyewitness talks about uh, uh, hearing the plane's propeller. And then he said, I also heard silence. And I thought that was an interesting, yeah. I heard silence. Um, so apparently the oh, engine... Simon and Garfunkel. Right? Yeah. They, Sound oh, of silence. Hey. <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah. Maybe that's what he... Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyways, he uh, he uh, released the uh, the banner and, and landed in the bay. And I was looking for some indication in this story of whether or not the aircraft remained upright in the water. And this story doesn't say anything. That 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 was in my mind too because it's really really difficult to keep a tricycle gear airplane upright, yes. or a, or a tail dragger that for that matter any fixed gear airplane upright when you're ditching in the water. Yeah, so I, that's I that's really if you if you win that fight you've done a hell of a job in, in mm -hmm. putting it down. Yeah, 
So you got to figure these, these banner tow folks, uh, they, that, in my mind, they fall into the same category as, you know, people who tow gliders or people who uh, uh, carry up uh, uh, skydivers. Um, they, they know how to fly these airplanes. Uh, Let's jump back to that Mary Kay story for just a second. Okay. I, I think there's almost a teaching moment here. We were talking about this uh, a few days ago at a, at a little gathering of uh, other aviators, and somebody said, so one, one brake locks and you're about to swerve completely out of control. What's the solution? What do you do? And one of the old saws said, well, hell, I'd stomp on the other brake, at least try to even it out. Yeah. Doesn't that seem like an appropriate response? I don't know. Is that is it? If you got a brake locked and you're swerving out of control, wouldn't stopping straight be preferable and, and oh, just yeah. slam on the other brake? Yes, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily presume that in the in the kind of quickness of that moment that you realize that, that it's a brake locked up. That's the $64 question that they couldn't answer. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it puts me in mind of the, uh, the, the what's always, con- I've always considered to be an incredibly frightening situation. You hear stories from time to time about uh, the, the, where an airplane takes off, um, where its uh, 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 aileron controls had been wired backwards. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you're turning the yoke to the right and the airplane's going to the left. And... Uh, and it always seemed to me that you could well get yourself into a situation there where you couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, the airplane's rolling to the right, so you put in left aileron, and it goes further to right, and you go, oh, I need more left, you know. And before you realize, before you make the connection of what's going on here, if you've gone too far. And um, can, we, can we figure out what's, what got missed in the preparation that might have prevented that from happening yeah well i mean i've never been in a situation where i put the wings on an airplane before flying it or or did that kind of thing but it it always seemed to me that i would be very very careful about that yeah um it's also part of my isn't it part of everybody's pre-flight to to look and make sure that the ailerons are are you know going in the right direction it is mine it's on the checklist yeah yeah you know, like I, you know, I, I always do it manually out at the aileron when I'm right. doing a walk around too. Right. Yep. And, and, and look at the the yoke and see what it's doing when you're when you're yeah. bending the aileron. But in the run up area, I more I'm do more than just make sure they're free and correct. I mean, I, I make sure they're going in the right direction. Um, well, that's what we mean by correct. I guess that. Okay, you're right. Of course, yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's come no, on. It's well, six o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. I Go know, ahead. I know. But what I have to do sometimes, and I'll I'll confess it right here. All right, I'm going to turn the yoke to the left, which means a left bank, which means what happens to that aileron on the left it wing? Well, it, it should be up. Yeah, and I have to. I, sometimes I have to stop and and run through that particular. I you know I'm going to call it logic, but run through that little sequence of of uh, questions to myself to make sure that okay, yeah, that the left aileron is up, the right aileron is down when I when I pulled the yoke all the way to the left, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, an ex girlfriend has to come out here and rewire the airplane for me. Right, right. And well. it shouldn't be you just walk out there and move the aileron up and down and go, oh yeah, it's free. Uh, I always did it looking. I did that first, and then I did it again, looking at the yoke through the wind. The yokes through the windows of the airplane. If I lift up the aileron on the left side, that yoke should rotate counterclockwise to the left. When I lift the right aileron, it should rotate to the right, and then do it again in the cockpit of the airplane, looking at it again. And I'm like Jeb. I have to stand there for a second and go. 
A follows B, insert C into tab D. Yep, that's the right way. Paranoia is a wonderful pre-flight preparer. Yeah. The the next one we've got here is a, uh, I don't know if this is a forced landing or an outright crash, but uh, an aircraft with apparently a guy and his family uh, went down in the mountains out in, uh, where is it? Uh, I want to say California, but it's not California. They it's, were flying from, from uh, California to, I think, Montana um, or Idaho, maybe. I think this was in Idaho. Yeah. This is interesting. This has quite, this has yeah. the, the potential to be, you know, a movie of the week. Uh, uh-huh. This is, uh, this guy's, a, I'm <clears throat> scanning the story here. I haven't read it in a while, but uh, uh, apparently this guy's a serious pilot. Um, he's like a, he's something. He's an instructor or a, or a, a oh no, he's a firefighter. That's what a it was. Firefighter, yeah. yeah, he's a firefighter who, who flies. And um, they went down in the middle of nowhere, all right? And, but they had cell phone coverage. This is like the 21st century right here, all right? Um, they apparently got on the phone and called emergency, and they called it in. And uh, for some reason, I heard the audio. I don't know if you heard this. The, the audio of the cell phone call, the 911 call, um, hmm. was on the news. And apparently the ki- one of the kids made the call. Right. And, uh, um, so, uh, and, and, uh, and the kid initially gave the direction wrong. Apparently, it, it sounds like the da- you know, dad or mom or somebody coached the kid on what to say. And so the kid said, we're, whatever he said, he said, we're 20 miles east of, and in the background you hear somebody saying, west, west. So, see, I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but the rescue folks uh, went out and found them and, and pulled them off the mountain, and apparently all is well. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it, he put it down in some rugged territory, man. Whether or not he was, you know, choosing to land at this spot, he managed to set it down when the, well, when the time according came. to what, I've, what I read in this article, I don't know that it goes into that kind of detail. They were en route from, I think, Sacramento to uh, Mountain Home, Idaho. And um, they stopped for fuel. This is a 172, three people. Uh, they stopped for fuel uh, or stopped somewhere to wait out some weather and then took off again. And um, when, after they took off, after the wait, um, got into more weather, including icing, and were descending out of control. I won't, I won't, not, out of control is not the right word. They, were just, they had no choice but to descend, let's put it that way. Yep. And, um, and then, you know, night IFR over the mountains is not, in a single, is not a uh, good place to be. Right. And, oh, I'm looking uh, at this quote from the pilot. Go ahead. And he, 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 you know, he, yeah, the plane stalled. I put it into a complete nose-down position. I don't know what a complete nose-down position is uh, to get a little bit of airspeed because I saw we were, were going to run into the other side. Apparently, they're in a valley or a ravine or something like that. And then uh, as they were going to encounter the terrain, he... Uh, use the elevator control to pull the nose back up, and the airplane kind of pancake belly flopped into the into the terrain. Um, both front seaters apparently went through the windshield. Oh, uh, okay, I see. Um, that's troubling. That's very troubling. Um, a couple of thoughts. One, this was a. I can't. Uh, it is not in this article. There were some other articles on this that had kind of piqued my interest, but apparently this was an older 172. This mm-hmm. is not a newer 172 with shoulder harnesses from the factory. So it's entirely possible this only had lap belts on it. Okay. A. B, I'm wondering what happened about the ELT? Uh, good question. What was the deal on the ELT? Uh, a, did he have a, a newer 406 ELT? Apparently not. 
or, or uh, you know, I don't know, maybe he did. Uh, B, um, with the, um, even with the older 121.5 ELTs, um, someone should have heard it. Someone flying overhead should have heard it. Mm-hmm. Unless it was just you know so deep into a valley or or something like that. So I mean, a let's presume he had an ELT. B did it go off? C was it damaged? You know what was the deal on that? I'd really like to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to do the Jeb thing here and look it up in the NTSB. I I'm not as quick at it as you it's are. Not, it's not on NTSB. It's yet. not there if, yet. Okay. Yeah, the FAA would have something, but it wouldn't be very, very, very basic. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, well, um, um, we're very, very happy that they. they yeah. Made. I didn't realize that the injuries were that extreme. That's uh, that is troubling. And uh, well, they're, they're, the whole family is out of the hospital now. They had they had minor injuries apparently, uh, uh, but they're you know it's dark, it's cold. Um, yeah, uh, you generally want to stay with the airplane at least until you know sun up. Uh, but then the daughter's cell phone went off. Mm-hmm. Someone was trying to call the daughter and um, said, oh. "Hey, let's call nine one one." Yeah, I'm, okay. What what a concept! Yeah, the last crash we've got here is I, this is just like the beginning of a bad joke when you get right down to it. Okay, you know it's like so an FAA guy and an NTSB guy walk into a bar and. Uh, Oh yeah, this is this know, is this, bizarre. All right, this, this is a mid-air collision between mm-hmm. two aircrafts that happen to be one happens to be piloted by an FAA guy, and the other happens to be piloted from an NTSB guy, and uh, uh, and and it was fatal for one aircraft, and and the other aircraft uh, was able to land successfully, um, but off field, I understand, uh, and uh, yeah, um, and uh, sad, sad situation. Certainly, don't mean to make light of it. Um, the, the, the odd part of it to me is that, uh, as someone might say, the punchline is that the NTSB, uh, FAA and the NTSB have decided they're not the best ones to investigate this. So mm-hmm. even though this crash took place well in the U.S., I think it was like Virginia or something like that. This is, this is um, near my old stomping grounds. Yeah. Uh, They've asked uh, the, can, uh, the Canadian NTSB to come down and investigate this, this accident. And that's the part uh, that I find kind of interesting. Is that common? Uh, well, it's not common for a midair to occur in general. Okay, yeah, I know, that's but, the first step for yeah. a midair to occur with one of them involving an employee of an F, of the FAA or the NTSB. It's got to be wildly off the scale in terms of you know you just won the lottery odds. Mm-hmm. But to have one airplane with one agency and the other airplane with the other agency, that's just you know that's astronomical. Right. That, but how often? How often does NTSB or FAA ask another country, obviously Canada is the obvious choice, to come in th- and investigate? This is the an first. T- yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Th- this is the first time in my memory that this has occurred. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's it's unprecedented, actually. Yeah, uh, but but in 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 a couple of things here. One, it's the right thing to do. And it was done very quickly. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of uh, sense. I, I, according, I, I, according to, I don't know if it's in this story or not, but uh, apparently uh, Chairman Hurstman picked up the phone and called Acting Administrator Huerta and said, we got a problem, and here's how I propose to resolve it. And they both agreed on the spot, and then uh, uh, Hurstman picked up the phone and called the Canadian TSB, and, and here they are. Um, I don't have any problem with that. No. I understand the sensibilities. I understand... Uh, um, how they need to, um, um, you know, maintain at least uh, 
um, uh, the picture of impro- of, of um, the picture of elimination of any impropriety. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, but this was this was kind of a this is a this is a bad deal. Um, the uh, there's a, a banana V-tail bonanza, a late model V35B bonanza, um, being flown by um, a physician who uh, was. Uh, I presume he was uh, full time with the NTSB doing aeromedical stuff, um, and um, a um, well-known and popular local flight instructor. Mm-hmm. What they were doing, I don't know. They could have been out doing an IPC. They could have been out doing instrument work. I don't know. Um, and then the uh, the the pilot of the Cherokee was a, a, a FAA inspector. Um, of some kind, I guess a safety inspector, and the uh, the two airplanes collided. The collision basically cut the Bonanza in half. Mm-hmm. And of course, once that happens, that's that. You know, the the uh, the, um, the tail the tail separated from the fuselage, and, and that's pretty much the you know, good night, ladies. Um, but um, uh, the uh, Cherokee pilot, the FAA employee. Uh, his plane was just severely disabled and whatnot. He was going down. He managed to um, pilot it between two trees. We've talked about that in recent episodes. Mm-hmm. He managed to snake it in between two trees and rip off the right wing and, and whatnot. But, and he was hospitalized, but I think he's out of the hospital now. Uh, and um, it'll be a very, very interesting uh, uh, investigation to see how this comes together. But again, it's it, for the for the DC area aviation community. Uh, it's, it's quite a deal. And uh, um, as I say, the instructor in the Bonanza was was fairly well known and, and well respected. Yeah. Do they know? Do they have a sense of what part of the Cherokee contacted the uh, the Bonanza in order to uh, cut it in half? Was it was it was he in a bank? No was it a wing went through, or did the tail t- clip it, or how did? No clue. Um, and it's it's looking at the Cherokee itself. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, there's a picture of a Cherokee on the ground, missing its right wing. That occurred during the landing sequence, not during the collision itself. The, um, the vertical stabilizer. Um, is really ripped up on this airplane. Yeah. Uh, that strikes me as something that probably would not have happened, or at least to this extent, uh, during the crash sequence. So that might be a clue for you. Yeah. Anyways, very sad and odd story. Yeah. And uh, it, it, I, it might be interesting. I think it could well turn out to be interesting to watch how the investigation proceeds not in terms of determining probable cause, but just how the process might be different or the same. Um, having the Canadians, um, you know, having That's another nation invest doing uh-huh. an investigation in the U.S. It might be a lesson in how the investigation process works. Yeah, and there's all kinds of lessons um, that we could we could get out of this. Um, anyone who um, like me who who spends much time looking at accident reports invariably we'll look at accident reports from other countries, whether it's Australia, Great Britain, Canada, um, and, of course, something we might get to later in this episode. Well, let's get to it right now. The, uh, the uh, Air France 447 yeah. 
uh, final report is due, uh, I want to say like Monday or, or Tuesday of next week from the, uh, the French uh, uh, version of the NTSB. Uh, it will be extremely interesting to see how that uh, comes out and what's written about it and what the, uh, what the findings are. Um, but um, each country has, by virtue of the laws under which they operate, they have different phraseologies, they have different priorities, they have different uh, um, um, concerns that have to be met. At the end of the day, they're all looking for the same thing, though. They're all looking for, we call it in, in, the, in the U.S., we call it probable cause. Um, other countries will call it a finding or, or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, the, pro the, the procedures and the science and the technologies involved are all pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, based on your experience of reading these things, is there anything we will find notable about the, the different way that ca Canada does this than the way we're familiar with the NTSB here, here doing it? Well, well, again, I don't know that we'll, we'll have a statement of probable cause. Um, the, the Canadian TSB will uh, come up with some kind of a finding, and I, I'm using that word in air quotes, um, because I, I, right off the top of my head, I don't know... Uh, what the the TSB uh, specifically does in their reports, they're, they're certainly you know, very competent uh, and very capable, especially to investigate uh, midair involving two general aviation aircraft. Yeah. So, anyways, too many crashes. Too many crashes. Too many. Too many crashes. And and there's been a rash here yeah. um, uh, the last week to ten days. I, it, there was a lull. And I guess everybody was just, you know, kind of saving up for the Memorial Day weekend or something and, and went out and started flying. And, and uh, there's been a lot of uh, bad yeah, well, news. It could be that, you know, spring traffic picks up, number of flights, that kind of thing. Hey, listen, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Are we gonna really? Start? Yeah, we are. Uh, especially because this is a special case. i got to go to work soon. That's why we're doing time, it at 6 o'clock Time flies when you're talking about flying, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah I, I'm supposed to, it's, what is it, 7.08 here in, in Las Vegas right now, and I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, down on the show floor at 7.45, so i got to start getting these things. You know. and, Anyways. And, and you'll need a donut before you get there. So. Tell me about it. Um, couple of quick shout-outs. What do we got here? Um, this is a, it's a good thing we're not a news, news podcast because we'd be really bad at it, apparently. But uh, um, the, uh, this is kind of an old story, but nevertheless, it's a, a well-deserved shout-out to the folks at SpaceX for their uh, successful mission uh, up to the International Space Station and back. Um, I think I saw in the news yesterday or the day before that the uh, the uh, the oh, I'm blanking on what they called that. It's got a oh, dragon, the the dragon spacecraft mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, returned to Earth successfully. Did a splashdown. We haven't seen one of those in a while. And uh, um, um, uh, I guess I guess everything was good. It was quite a mission, and uh, uh, successfully uh, had a private uh, a firm. Uh, send a, not only a, 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 an aircraft into space, but uh, a, a working aircraft. It took important supplies to the International Space Station. Yeah, it took a half a ton of stuff up there. Uh, they docked it with the space station. It unfurled its own solar panels in flight. Yeah. And yeah. then stowed them again on, before it came down. So uh, a lot of technological uh, uh, milestones that uh, mm -hmm. this SpaceX mm -hmm. achieved on this flight. And hats off to them. I yeah. agree with you, Jack. That's definitely noteworthy. Yeah, that's absolutely. a big deal. Big, big, big deal. deal. Turning point. No, I mean, it's not, you know, 
it, it's no news. Everybody, everybody who pays attention to this stuff knows it. But uh, it is. This is a turning point in uh, in space. Uh, you know, I don't know exploration or travel. I guess space travel. So good thing. Good thing. Other shout outs. Civilian controlled flight. The yeah. final yeah. frontier of space. Jeb, you got any shout outs? Yeah, real quick, uh, Mike Hart, um, who was a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, counting him as a friend and a friend of Aviation Safety Magazine, has uh, is an aircraft owner. Uh, he is this week uh, flying his Piper Cub uh, from Idaho to Kansas for uh, like a high school class reunion or something like that, and and some other uh, family things, but. Uh, uh, via Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, probably some other oh, and Spot, the, uh, the, the tracking service uh, has been uh, uh, detailing his trip and, and giving uh, updates, uh, going through passes at uh, uh, 9,500 feet uh, near Casper, Wyoming with a tailwind and, and things like that. And it's all kind of very, very cool and, and hats off to him for not only uh, uh, keeping people apprised and abreast of, of this trip, but um, uh, also, just conducting it in the first place. It's it's a really cool and um, uh, shout out to Mike uh, Mike Hart. Yeah, and showing once again that you can go anywhere in an LSA category airplane. That's right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, very cool, very cool. David, you got anything? I do have one quickie, uh, and I, I do it with a, a great deal of uh, of, of joy. Uh, as uh, we all know that. Uh, the three of us and, and others have had some critical moments, uh, uh, critical statements for the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association off and on in the past couple of years and and stuff where we kind of scratched our head. But not with this one. This is a uh, program that uh, provides a complimentary one-year membership to the association for active military uh, personnel. Uh, I think that's damn well served. I think that's a great idea. Uh, and uh, if it helps some of these military folks uh, in their transition to civilian life, if they're coming out, uh, uh, even better. And if it helps get them involved in the larger GA community, even if they're staying in, all the better. So uh, uh, the link will be on the website, discoveraopa.org. Uh, uh, if you're active duty military and you're at all interested in aviation, whether you fly, uh, notwithstanding, uh, AOPA's got a year long membership for you with all the benefits for zero. So, yeah, great. Well hats deserved. off to AOPA. Yeah, well deserved, and and thank you to AOPA for doing that. Okay, uh, uh, Jeb. One one thing, real quickly, I misspoke. Mm-hmm. Um, in talking about the uh, forthcoming final report on the Air France 447 crash. Okay. Uh, that will not be available next week. It will be available in early July. Early July. Okay. I'm sure we'll talk about it when the time comes. Uh, probably so. Probably. So, so we've we got to rock and roll here, and we can't get to listener questions, or we can't talk about uh, FAA uh, uh, guaranteed loans for next gen equipment or any of that kind of stuff. Well, we'll, we'll hold or, those. Or for... the A five spin test. Yeah, or... No, this is all good stuff. But you're going to have to give me a note to my boss, otherwise. So we got to learn. We got to wrap this up. Uh, we'll hold those. We'll t- so now I know you like those. We'll put those on next week's list. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Roll those over, buddy. We'll we'll, we'll roll those over for sure. But we've got to definitely stick a fork in this one this time because i got to go to work. Uh, that's Dave Higdon. He's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what are you working on? 
Anything you want to tell us about or uh, or just tell yeah, us? Yeah, if you give me a half a second here, it's right in an email that I just got telling me what I just had come out in the latest avionics news magazine. Yeah. Which is Yeah, I got uh, the same thing. About Aspen and Avidyne bringing FMS to masses without massive expense. Yeah. That's because your editors, your editor at that at that publication listens to the podcast, and every single time we do this part of the podcast, he's like he's like yelling at his iPod, going, "Don't you remember that you did this story for me?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, this just hits the newsstands today. Uh, the online ep- uh, the online issues are available through AEA.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you're a member, you'll get your hard copy uh, here in the next couple of days. Yeah. Cool. I'm sorry. And did you tell us what the story subject was? Yeah, about how Aspen and Avidyne are working to but bring glass cockpit and flight management system capabilities to a wider strata of GA aircraft at amazingly low cost, relatively speaking. Excellent. Excellent. And I got to actually fly both of the systems that we're talking about in this article uh, during Sun and Fun a couple of months ago. So. Yep. And where in general can people find you on the Internet? Uh, AEA.net, I have buyer.com where I do work for a magazine called World Aircraft Sales, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com where I'm humping and turning because I was given such a long lead time for this month. And, uh, uh, oh, or just, you know, roll the dice, do a Google search and remember that I'm not the golf writer and I'm not the theoretical physicist, theoretically. And that other guy is Jeb Burnside, who's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What that email tell, tell you about what you've done recently, Jeb? Well, same, <laughs> same magazine, same issue. I've got two articles in, in um, the uh, June uh, issue of Avionics News. Uh, regular listeners will remember a little stint I took uh, uh, up in D.C. Uh, back in in uh, early April, um, the, there's actually two articles, a uh, cover article and, and some uh, uh, additional material uh, in this magazine, um, this, this issue of the magazine, detailing the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association's uh, recent annual meeting, which was <clears throat> in April in D.C. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's quite a spread and uh, took a lot of time and effort to, to, to uh, put it all together. But it's, uh, uh, you know, I'll sit down and, and look at how badly, uh, actually, um, they don't. They don't do much editing. <laughs> yeah, stuff, okay. So, don't go uh, there. But, don't go there. Yeah, don't go there. But uh, so there's there's one thing, and of course that was uh, a long time in coming. Um, I'm working this week and next on the uh, July issue of Aviation Safety Magazine, and mm-hmm. uh, there's an article in there by uh, some guy named Higdon. I think we were uh, talking about um, uh, some instrument uh, um, things. I think uh, some IFR things, weren't we? I believe we were. Yeah, yes, sounds yes. vaguely familiar. Sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah. And where you are on the internet, Jeb is um, uh, uh, jeburnside dot com for the uh, personal website that is dire in dire need of updating. Uh, Aviation Safety Magazine dot com, AEA dot net, Avionics News dot net, um, and occasionally on Avweb dot com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, you can uh, learn more about me at uh, Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Also, JackHodgson.com and AroundTheField.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating uh, all of our show notes uh, and also for his work in the uh, UCAP forums. 
Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP Disclaimer Clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, did you have something you were going to tell us? Grow old, enjoy life, live longer by going flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.